I've been around here since about 1973. Four, two, one, eight, whatever. I don't... I quit drinking, too. You know, uh, you know in Alamon, you don't have to remember your sobriety that hell. You just remember your birthday. That's all, you know. We can't keep up with that other stuff. I'm also a member of a, of a home group. My home group is the Saturday Night Live. I don't know family group in Gainesville, Florida. Best damn group in the world. There's, there's, a, there's a possibility that you people might be number two. <laughs> you might be taking over number one for tonight's over with. I had, I had the misfortune of speaking to my home group for the first time about a month, and a month or so ago, something like that. And you know, they didn't even clout. Hell, you know, a couple of them cried. You know, they were disappointed I was even there. They had waited. I started that group about four years ago, and, you know, I never asked me to speak. And when I turned it over to everybody else, they never asked me either. Everybody else spoke, so hell, they run out of speakers and they got to me. Let me get this thing going. I want to let everybody know how much we appreciate it, having us out here. We, we fell in love with the Midwest, and uh, the last few years we've had the opportunity to come through this part of the country and... And this year we've gotten to meet more of the people, and, and it's amazing. The Midwest has hills, and, you know, I thought everything was flat, but I've missed the biggest part of the Midwest, you know. I understand why Nebraska's got such a hellacious team now, you know. It's up and down those damn hills. <laughs> down in Florida, we have a hard time just building a hill, you know. You know, staying up deep enough at night to be okay with it. But I want to let you know we do appreciate it. I, we were talking before we came over here tonight. I, when I first came here on Thursday, I weighed about 172 pounds. Uh, every, every time I've looked up, Steve, he's been feeding us, you know. Well, we've got every place, you know. He said, let's try this today, you know. Off we go, you know. This has been fantastic. I, I want to let you know before I forget that you people are just the greatest hosts in the world. And if you haven't ever have an opportunity to, to go visit Omaha, Nebraska, go. <laughs> and it's worth it, I guarantee. We uh, I, I also want to want to tell you how much I appreciate Peggy being here. When we came here, the only person when I walked in this room that I had known before was Peggy. And I had met Peggy down in Florida this past year when she came down and was gracious enough to speak at our state convention. And I appreciate her being here. I also appreciate that you sent Dick out of town. Um, <laughs> Dick, Dick is a lot like my sponsor, and, and I don't even, hell, I moved out of the state. You know, I got away from my sponsor, and then I, I get around people like Dick, and I get nervous. You know, I don't, I don't know what their problem is. <laughs> Let, let's get the deal started, and uh, I want to let you know that I, I was raised in a little place in Alabama, uh, a little place called Gasden, Alabama, and beautiful Gasden, Alabama had two or three things that we're about to get into, and, and you have to know, and you have to realize that that I began to develop young, and at a very young age, I can remember waking up one morning, I was butt naked, laying there in a big feather bed, and the wind was coming in the window, and my grandmother was baking sausage, and, and everything was fantastic in my world. That morning, everything that Roly was and that Roly knew, it was just great. Hell, everything was just fantastic. Now, not long after that, something must have begun to happen. Uh, one, one of the things that happened was uh, we were 
I was sitting in a sandbox one day. I must have been about five years old or something. And I was sitting in a sandbox. And up pulls these two big truckloads of people. And these people were wearing these long white pointed hats. And they climb out of the back of the truck. They were religious. <laughs> they were in red. But when they, when they get off the truck, they surrounded my neighbor's house. And I, I, was, I was sitting there in the sandbox one, and they just surrounded him, and Mr. Hunt broke out the backyard, and they grabbed him, and they just began to beat the hell out of him. I, you know, I sat there in utter amazement, and I mean, they beat that man to a pup, and they drug him around to the front yard, and they laid him down in the back of one of the trucks, and, and, they, and they all stepped on his head as they stepped up into the truck. And my mother come running out, and she grabbed me, and we ran into the house, and, and I said, Mother, what in the world did they do to that Mr. Hunt? You know, and, and I noticed as they were driving off, the ambulance pulled up. You know, it was as, as if the, the ambulance driver had had a premonition or something. And I, <laughs> he was waiting on the corner, and, and he pulled up, and they put Mr. Hunt in the ambulance, and off they went. And I, I never could get an answer. Went around the neighborhood and asked everybody. I said, what did those fellows do to me? Don't, don't know anything, didn't see anything, nothing really happened. And my father, who was a long-distance truck driver, came home, and, and I went in there, and I said, Daddy, what, what went on with Mr. Hunt? What was the problem here? And my father said, well, you see, Mr. Hunt is a drunk. And these fellas have a cure for alcoholism. And I said, oh, hell, I understand that. Well, I, first cure I ever seen. You know, and I knew it worked. I just, I knew it worked. And I, you know, when I had to live like it, in Alabama, a lot of things happened to you. And uh, I want to, you know, relate just a few stories to you and let you know. And, uh, I was rocking along, I was about 12 years old, went to visit my grandfather, a little town outside of Gaston called Piedmont. I went over and I visited with him. And, it was a nice little trip, and one day, all my uncles, I forgot to tell you, but all my uncles are alcoholics. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I could be a committee or something. That, you know, maybe I caused that, or someone else caused it, or whatever. But all of my uncles are alcoholics, both sides of the family, just ended up with alcoholism. I didn't realize it. We just call it drunkenness and sorriness. I noticed the word that Joe read today. It's called sight. Hell, I've never seen that in the book until today, but it's really in there. Sight's what they used to call them, where I came from. That was it, sight. And I remember, you know, I went and visited my grandfather and the telephone rang. Picked up the telephone, picked that thing up, you know, and the sheriff said, hey, tell your grandfather, one of the uncles, I don't know which one it was, was in jail, come and get him. And my grandfather came in there, my grandfather was about 6'8", weighed about 400 pounds, tremendous man, had retired after 50, 60 years of work, raised eight boys. And he said, what? Give me the telephone. And I said, hold it, I'm taking care of this. You know what I mean? Put him off for a second, and I said, well, we won't be coming down today. And my grandfather just snatched the telephone out of my hand, and he talked to the sheriff for a minute, and he said, sure, I'll be right there to get him. And he hung up the telephone, and I said, what are you going to do? And my grandfather said, I'm going to go get him out of jail. And I said, oh, hell, that don't work. There's these guys with these white hats. <laughs> They'll solve this problem. And my grandfather done the same thing you done, he laughed at me. <laughs> and when he laughed at me, it hurt my feelings. And when my feelings get hurt, people pay for it. <laughs> I hold grudges. So hell, I just, I, I got one of my other uncles to carry me home. And I just never went back. And I carried that around on my shoulder because, see, when you're right, you got to be willing to go to the limit. You know, none of this half measure stuff for me. Hell no, I bet my butt on this deal. And I was sticking with it. And if you want to live a life of self-will run, run right, and if I can get that out, self-will run right, then you'll eventually come in, you know, conflict with other people. Many things happen to me. I mean, literally, I could list a bunch. I'll give you one more example. I finally left home. I was about 19 years old moved down to South Georgia. And, 
And, you know, moving from North Alabama to South Georgia is like culture shock. <laughs> People think, you know, moving from the Midwest to New York is some big deal. But no, let me tell you, you know, it's an entirely different group of rednecks. <laughs> My wife makes me wear this necktie. And see, I have no neck. That's <laughs> a hell of a problem. Most people don't sympathize with me on that. But, but anyway, I was living in South Georgia, becoming this different kind of redneck, and, and I was doing okay, and the telephone rang one day, and, and I, my mother said, your sister's got a problem, why don't you come take care of it? And I, I said, okay, no problem. I always took care of everybody's problems. That's my job. And I got in the car and I drove home, about 300 miles. Got out of the car and I went on the inside, and my mother said, she wants to see you. She's in the kitchen. I went in there, and my sister said, let's go down to the basement. I went down to the basement, and we sat down, and, and, and she looked at me, and she's 14 years old, and she says, I'm pregnant. And I said, you're what? She said, I'm pregnant. And oh, God, it just went right through me. It just blew me away. And I said, my God, how did this happen? <laughs> but God bless her. You know, she sat there and had them little tears run out of her eyes, and she said, what do I do? And I said, here's what we do. First thing we're going to do is we're going to get rid of that boy. Just drop him. You know. Second thing we're going to do is, we, is we're going to go on back to school and finish up our education. Because that's what you need. And the third thing we're going to do is we're never going to have children again. Now, buddy, I'm on to tell you. If I was wearing this ring, she kissed it. You know, I had the power. I got in the car and I and I drove, and I, I drove as far as Atlanta that night, and I, and I got drunk, and woke up the next morning, I called home, and she was still pregnant. I've heard people say in this program, you know, the alcoholics, they can call home, and it changed. <laughs> and it never changed for me, you know. Uh, I'd have a few drinks, and hell, everything would be just like I left it, you know. Couldn't figure that out. <laughs> but anyway, I rocked along like this, and, and like I said, I, I lived my, my life with my nose and everybody's business but mine. And, that, you know, if, if you'll do that consistently, you'll get people away from you. People will leave you. Hell, they'll leave in droves. You know, I'm not talking about one or two. Hell, they'll get, they see you coming, they'll get the hell out of there. I've cleared out bars, you know, just walk the hell in by the left, you know. Like somebody passed wind or something, you know. Unbelievable, you know. But anyway, you know, I rocked along like this. Life was pretty good. And, and I moved around, had a good job, and everything happened. It stayed great. And I moved around South Georgia. And, and I was just enjoying the hell out of not having anybody around me. And, and one night, I wish I could tell you I met this lady that's church social, but, but I didn't. I met her at a country music bar. <laughs> I had on my blue jeans. Looked good in blue jeans. <laughs> but I went in there, and there she said, and, and boy, we just were attracted to each other. And, and she's got a different way of telling this story, but I'm the one telling it tonight. You know? <laughs> I get to embellish it where I want to, you know. <laughs> And, I, and I, I, I met Pat for the first time, and, and Pat likes telling her story that, a lot, that she had drank a lot that day. And I don't remember, but uh, she said something like 18 beers. You know, and I, I just was infatuated with her. I just thought she was fantastic. I thought she was so cool. She had problems, and she was willing to talk to me about them. And, of course, I was willing to solve them. You know, whatever problems come up, hell, I could just solve those problems. And, and she, you know, her and I began an instant relationship down that bar stool. And then, you know, it was just, she had a problem, I fixed it, and she said, thank you. And this is the way I remember it. It might not be the way she remembers it. But she is today the, the biggest miracle that Alcoholics Anonymous has. Uh, she's been sober, picked up her fifth, fifth year chip this year, 
And I think the real miracle is not in the fact really that she's sober because I understand that. I see it in you, in you people. And I understand that. But the real miracle is when we get up in the morning, she'll be in my bed. And that's a tremendous miracle to me. Well, I'd like to introduce my wife, Pat, if you would please stand up. That's a good-looking woman where I come from. <laughs> but God bless her. Her and I began to... We just filled each other's voids, and we took care of business, and, and everything went great. And you know how it is when you... When you're drinking and you and you and you're just having a good time and everything's just fantastic and that's what we've done and we've done that for I don't know a year year and a half and we decided she'd move up and then not long after that we got married and I knew when I got married you know it'd be different you know you can do all this up in time to get married but then you settle down and 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 we didn't do any settle down we stayed the same basically we and the whole deal was I would come in after work and and she would pick up script A and I would pick up script B and. And she would start off and she would say something and I'd rebuke it. And she would correct me and, and then we'd have dinner and a few drinks and, and I would straighten her out. And then she would pull out one of her real zingers and give it to me and I, after about the fifth drink and, and then she would pass out and then I'd win the argument. <laughs> and when I had won the argument, I would wake her up and then I would go to sleep. <laughs> And we live like that one day at a time. You know, and we constantly helped each other with each other's problems. And I remember one time, uh, Pat came to me, and I, I don't know, we'd been married maybe six months or something, and she said, I'd done something. She'd asked me to do something, I'd done it. And she said, Roy, you done that great. I don't know anyone else that could have done that any better than you done it. It's fantastic. I lived off of that compliment for seven more years. <laughs> She never complimented me again, but I hung on to that one, you know. I hung with that deal. But God bless her, we rocked along. And if you keep doing this stuff one day at a time, eventually stuff happens. And, and what happened in our case was it got bad. And uh, we, had, we had unabated alcoholism in our family, and I drank, and she drank, and we cussed, and we fought, and, and dogs ran through the house, and kids went through the house, and kids went off, and cars came in, and cars were red. You know the whole deal, you know, it's just a regular deal. And we done that over and over again, and finally one day, out of the blue, just, just, you know, I was gonna go out of town. I remember I had a trip planned, and I was heading out of town, and, and I, and I told her what to do. I left her a whole list. I was gonna be gone for ten days, and I gave her a whole list of what to do while I was gone, and, and I left, and, and of course when I wasn't around her, I could drink like I really wanted to drink, cause I didn't have to show her how to drink anymore. You know, and this way I could just drink what I wanted to drink, and that was just one fifth of Black Jack Daniels every day. And I, you know, I'm not a court man myself. I like fifths. Hell, I just like the size of them. And, and I drank that every day, and I hid it in my case. And, I, and for ten days, I had a great time. I just had a fantastic time. No responsibilities. No having to, to be this person that I knew I wasn't, and I tried to, to impress her with. No having to do any of this performing. Just being away from it. And when I came back, I got there, and she met me. And, and I noticed she was a little nervous. And, and I... I I got in the car and I said, are you okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fantastic. And she was kind of bouncing off the walls. And, and we got home and, and we had a telephone call and my grandmother was in bed ill and, and she was expected to die. And, and Pat got real nervous and Pat came to me. And, and I had this bottle of wine. I forgot to say, I bought a bottle of wine up in Washington, D.C. And this is still one of the big arguments in our family is how much that bottle of wine cost. And I used to say it cost 60 and now I've grown up to 75 to countermand her 40 that she says it cost, you know. So anyway... I bought the wine and I'd given it to her that morning. It was a Sunday morning and we were watching 
the news or something on the program, and about that time, I heard a pop, and I said, what in the hell is that? And she came out, and she had the glass and two bottles, you know, the bottle and two glasses. And she said, do you want some of this wine? I said, what in the hell are you doing, buddy? I was going to save that expensive wine for some opening of a store, or, or you know, some kid getting mad. I said, what the hell have you done, opened it? And she said, well, yeah. And I found out later there was nothing else in the house. And she poured a drink, and I, I had a drink with her, and I said, sure, give me a drink. She went back into the room, and, and uh, you know, a few minutes went by, and she said, do you want this last sip? I said, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> so that's some good wine you're blowing away here. It's not Sunday morning hooch punch, you know. You can't go cutting like this. Huh? And it, was, you know, it was really bad, and, and she told me. She said, Roly, I, I've been real nervous, and I've been real sick, and, and I don't really know what to do. I'm scared to death, and, and I've been drinking too much, and it's got to me. And I said, well, you don't understand. You know, you drink probably like I drank, and, and I've been drinking ten days too, and I'm not the least bit nervous. I'm cool. I'm calm, and I'm collected, and, and I'll take care of this problem. I've seen it. I've seen it in other people, and I, I put you in the bed, and I, you know, I didn't want to use those guys with white hats. I mean, hell, you know, she's a good-looking lady, and, you know, I didn't want to get into that. So, so anyway, you know, I told her, I said, let me help you, and I put her in a water bed, and she lay there for two days, and she almost died because she, the alcohol did not have the same effect on her that it has on me. It took me a long time to find that out. And, you know, it took this program to show me. It took the, the sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and reading that book and, and listening to what these people say to find out that, hey, alcohol affected her different than it did me. But I, I didn't know it at the time. And, and I almost killed her. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not far against treatment centers or hospitals or any of that crap. But, but I tell you what, I almost killed her. And what would have killed her was not alcoholism but my damn pride. I was so damn prideful and so damn egotistical that I kept her in that bed to keep anybody else from knowing. And that's sick. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, by God, hear that. When they get sick, get them medical attention. Don't ever, don't ever do what I done. I was damn lucky. She lived through it. I found out a couple of years later she had a pill. That pill probably saved her life. She took the pill and went through the detox. It was just awful. Anyway, when she got done with it, a couple of days went by and grandmother lived and it pissed Pat off. You know, <laughs> never did like that lady. And anyway, Pat came in on about Thursday and she said, well, I'm okay now. And I said, well, let's have a drink. And I poured a drink and we started again. And we've done the same thing again. And this went on for another period of time. And finally one day it got really, really bad. And Pat came in and said, I think I better go to AA. I said, what do you mean, AA? What's the problem here? You can drink. She said, no, no, I think I better go ahead and go to AA. It's about to kill me. I'm shaking from the inside out. And I, she said, it's Sunday and they won't be there. And I said, oh, hell, call them anyway. And anyway, I ended up calling AA. And I put them on the line with her. And she invited them out. I'll never forget it. A man and a lady come out to our house. And by the God bless him, he died this past year and he died sober. And I'm forever grateful for that. But Bob, Bobby came out to our house, and him and Hilda, and they knocked on the door. And I went to the door. It was a Sunday morning. We'd done a lot of our stuff on Sunday morning. And uh, I opened the door, and, and Hilda looked at me, and Bobby looked at Hilda, and Bobby said, I don't think he'll need a detox center. Hilda said, I'm not sure. And I said, hell, it ain't me. You know, it's her. And they said, oh, well. You know, the, and they came on into the house, and, and they sat down, and they talked to her. And as they talked to her, they, they would, she would ask a question, and then I would answer it. And then they would talk to her, and, and she'd ask a question, and I would answer it. They kept sending me to go feed the dog. I don't even think we had a dog at the time. Well, people weren't nice to me at all, you know, showed no respect. And, and I sat there, and I explained to them over and over again, but they kept sending me after stuff. Water, coffee. Hell, we didn't drink coffee, you know. 
get anything. Get the hell out of here. That's what they were saying. And, and I kept sticking my nose in there. But they invited us to come to a meeting on what Wednesday night. And, and we went, uh, Wednesday, Sunday, whatever the night was. Anyway, we went to the meeting. And when we got to the meeting, I went in. And Pat was really shaking. She hadn't been drinking for a couple of days. She was shaking the inside out. And we went in and we sat down. And, and I was there to comfort her. And a fellow came walking over and, and said, uh, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Roy. He said, are you an alcoholic? I said, well, certainly not. She is. And he said, well, you are you don't belong in here. You belong down the hall. I said, oh, no, I'll stay here. She's my wife. He said, no, no, come with us. You need to go down here. And then it happened. Now, this is the thing I want you to get. They went down that hall and they opened this door. And now, get this picture. Fourteen little white-haired ladies. All sitting around the table. And the guy just shoved me in the room. And I looked, and they said, what do you want? <laughs> I said, they sent me down here. They said, go try again. <laughs> <laughs> Before I ever got here, I was kicked out. <laughs> God bless me, let me sit down that night and I listened about them soap operas. and You know how it is, soap operas and cookie baking. and oh, I can't watch TV. I'm working during the day. I could care less about that, and that cookie-baking stuff, I don't care about that crap, you know. And, and I went to two or three meetings, and, and I stopped going. I went with Pat a few times, and I quit going. And a couple of months went by, and she came home one night, and she said, I found the answer. And I said, what's that? She said, I didn't have a proper respect for alcohol. That's my problem. And I said, oh, really? So yeah, if you respect and you have a fear of it, hell, you don't have any problem drinking. And I said, well, that's great. Let's have a drink. And off we went. And I poured it right, and down the deal we done. And you know, for the next five months, I seen her do what is I now understand is controlled drinking. God, it was you know unbelievable. I look back on that. We we would all go out to dinner, just to give you an example of what was going on. And she would drink the same thing that the weakest livered woman in the crowd drank. And I'd be over there just hitting them away. And we'd all go home, and the next morning we'd all get up and. And I'd do great, and the other couple would be fine, and Pat would be sick. Because, you see, alcohol affected her differently than it affected all these other people. And I didn't know that. You know, and I kept running back in that same wall. I said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You know, what is it? Why can't you do it? Well, I never knew. And I kept thinking, you know, this time it'll be different over and over again. And the crazy stuff happened, and the... You know, the crap that happens. You've heard all that, and you've lived through it. If you're in this room, you know what I'm talking about. There's no need me trying to explain that. You know, and, and what happened was after five months, one day I came in, and she said, I'm going back to AA. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> Hell no. They had their chance. Now, by God, we're going to do it Rolly's way. You know, I got them guys with the white hats. By this time, I'm living in South Georgia, but I know there's got to be a chapter of them rascals someplace, you know. <laughs> and I'm going to look them up. But anyway, she fought it off, and she said, Roly, there's a, there's a quart of vodka in the drawer, and if I don't do something today, I'm going to drink it. And if I drink it, I'm going to get real bad off. And she called them people, and hell, they let her come back. I, I was amazed they would let her come back, but they did, and, and she went back, and, and she got into the program. And this time, in, in her story, she tells all that, and, and it's fine. And this time, it was different for her, and... And I remember it was no different for me, and I kept doing the things I was doing. And one night I came home, just out of the blue, and it was about 6.30. And when she went to AA, before she went to AA, I was well fed. And to be honest with you, this body you see now is primarily built up through, you know, lousy sandwiches and, 
and a few cookies every once in a while. Hell, that, <laughs> nothing like the steak and potato dinner salads that I used to have, and you know, nothing like that ever again. And, and finally, but I came in one night, and it was about 10:30, and I I looked around the house, she wasn't there, and I said, "Where in the world is she at now?" Well, I sat down, I had her this time, and I sat down, and she came in the door. And I said, jumped up out of chair. Where in the hell have you been? And she said, I've been to AA. And I said, wait just a damn minute. That meeting starts at 8.30. One hour for the meeting. A little coffee and cake afterwards, 15, 20 minutes stop. 20 minute ride home, you know. You're back in here way before 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock's late. 10, 15 tops. I said, here it is, quarter to 11. And you're just coming in. I want to know what the hell was going on. And she said, well, we went to Fitzgerald tonight. And I said, Fitzgerald, I said, hell, that's 30 miles away. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, what's this we? Who, who in the hell is we? And she said, well, me and Carl and J.C. Ah. I said, I know who the hell you are, but who in the hell are Carl and J.C.? <laughs> I never met either one of those ladies. And she looked at me and she said, there are some drunks down at AA. And I said, whoa. I said, what in the world do you mean doing? She said, well, they can't drive. One of them's afraid to drive, and the other one ain't got a license. <laughs> and I just don't, I drove them over there with me, and I said, hold on, hell no. Ain't no wife of mine. Can you imagine what would happen if y'all roll that car over and all of you are killed? Headlines, Rolly's wife <laughs> killed in wreck with two alcoholics. <laughs> I said, look at what that'll make me look like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I said, there's no way in hell you're ever going to do that again. And she said, oh, yeah, my sobriety comes first. And I said, well, what in the hell comes second? She said, my mother and father. <laughs> I said, how about third? She said, the children. I said, fourth. She said, your mother. I said, fifth. She said, the dog. Well, I didn't press her any further. <laughs> I figure enough's enough. And I solved that problem. I want you to know I can solve these deals when I get into it. I just started carrying them every damn worse. If they had to go and they had to be in a car and she had to be with them, I'd just drive them, by God. So I become the, the AA taxi service for the South Georgia District of Alcoholics Anonymous. We'd load in that car every night and go to some meeting someplace just every day. You know, Carl and J.C., hell, one of them, you know, they get in the car. I said, J.C., you can't sit up front put Pat up here. <laughs> I said, Carl wants to ride in the back with Pat tonight. <laughs> I said, oh, hell no, put Pat up here. <laughs> and we'd all argue, and, and I would be winning the arguments. You know, they talk about the dumbest things, you know. They talk about letting go and letting God. I said, God, that's stupid. I've met my God. You don't do that, do you? And they said, yeah, we do. I said, why do you do it? I said, to stay sober. I said, oh, you got to be kidding. And I said, no. And I'd talk to him, and eventually, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd win my point or something. I'd get going in the right direction. And I'd say, y'all don't really think like that, do you? And finally, to, you know, kind of mellow me out, they'd say, oh, no, no, we don't think like that. And I'd say, well, wh why, why are you changing on me? And they'd say, oh, no problem. Maybe we just didn't know what we were talking about. And they would placate me for a minute, and, and sure enough, in a... In a, in a mass confusion, I'd jump back on them and, and they'd have an answer to another problem or they'd bring out another question and, and they'd begin to really, the, the things they talked about blew me away. I couldn't, I couldn't carry on a conversation with them. Here's two old drunks, can't even get a job. A lot more intelligent than I am. You know, I kept listening to them. I said, God, what in the hell is Pat seeing these guys? 
So they're sober. You know, what in the hell sober? I'm still drinking a little bit. I'm smart. Why don't you see me like that? Boy, my jealousy began. I was working on that deal, you know. I was popping along. And Paul, Carl, and J.C., they, they were probably the largest single reason I'm up here tonight. Because I heard some good, sober AA in that car every night. I didn't know what the hell it was. It flew right by me, you know. But I heard it. You know, now I'm not going to say this program works by osmosis, but it damn sure don't hurt. <laughs> I heard it and heard it and heard it, and finally, you know, I began to think about it. Everything rocked along fine. Anyway, I tried all night again, damn cookies and, and soap operas, and I couldn't get into that crap. And finally one day, you know how you do, and like we had moved and everything, I came home, and I, I was doing my regular 12.30 checking on my wife deal, and... And I dropped in the second time that day. And, and when I came in, she was sitting on the couch with her new neighbor, and she was drinking a can of beer. And it just blew me away. And instead of saying anything and showing my butt, I just turned around, walked outside, and I got in the car, and I drove around. And I thought about it, and I just hurt. My insides just began to quit. And I knew this time it had to be different, and I just began to shake all over, and I went on back home. And when I got back home, I went back inside, and they were still sitting there, and I went on to the bedroom. And I laid down in the bed and I just hurt. And see, cowboys don't cry, but I began to cry. And the tears were rolling down my face and, and I was hurting on the inside and I couldn't get it up and I couldn't get it off and I couldn't do anything with it. And I got up and went into the bathroom and I had dry heaves and I ended up in a doorway between the bedroom and the bathroom just sitting there crying like a little baby. Wasted away. And my wife came in the room and she looked at me and she said, Rolly, what's wrong with you? And you know how sometimes you'll see things just lev- levitate. I levitated up off the floor. And I went at her with a vengeance, and I said, By God, you know what's wrong with me. And she said, What in the hell are you talking about? And I said, You're sitting there drinking that damn can of beer, and by God, this time. And she said, Before you say another word, you better go in there and look in that garbage can. And I stopped. And for the first time in my life, the first time in my life, I've done what somebody else told me to do. And I walked down the hall, and I lifted up that garbage can, laid and reached in there. Y'all ever seen them diet seven up them little silver cans? That's what she was drinking. And it had blown me away. What I seen was not real. What I thought to be true was not true. And I stood there and everything in me just went out. I, I think I hear it over and over again when I hear people like Charlie and Joe talking and have that moment of inspiration when, when, when everything just becomes clear. And sometimes it's at the end of that last drink. And that's the way I stood. And everything just become clear. And Pat looked at me and she said, Rolly, you're crazy. And I said, I know it. <laughs> she said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'm going back to that damn Alamon. And if there is something there, by God, I'm going to find it. And I hurt and I hurt and I hurt and I ran to Alamon. I'm going to tell you, amazing thing happened when I went back to Alamon. I attended, I don't know, about a month, I guess. And I was going to every damn meeting I'd get to. I just went to these out meetings. And, and one night I was in a meeting, and it was amazing what I found out. You know, those people still talked about those cookies, and they still talked about that damn soap operas. But, you know, they talked about them cookies before the damn meeting. And they talked about them soap operas after it was over with. <laughs> my mind and my ears and my eyes cannot see, because they will not see. It was called Contemporary Investigation. 
And it, here again, just blew me away. I began to attend Al Anon on a regular basis, and I hear them, heard them talk about a lot of things. And one of the things they talked a lot about at that time was sponsorship, and, and I was scared to death of a sponsor. There was one other guy that went to a group, his name was Tommy, and I made Tommy a legend telling this story, and, and I told Tommy about it so he wouldn't feel bad if he ever heard it coming back. But I, I was in a meeting, I'd been about three or four months in the meetings, and, and I heard all this about sponsorship, and finally one night I said, tonight I'm going to ask him to be my sponsor. And I went to that meeting, and I sat down, and, and we were doing one of them, it was about my 68th consecutive detachment meeting, you know, and, and he got around to Tommy. And Tommy said, you know, I'm going to get off the subject tonight. i got something i got to say. And everybody just sat there and froze amazement. And Tommy said, you know, there used to be a fellow that came to the group here, and he came for quite a while. And, and finally, after a period of time, he came to me and asked me to be a sponsor. And, of course, I live out of town, and, and I'm hard to get in touch with. I'm a banker, and, and I'm not very proficient at, at conversation over the telephone. And, and I, I didn't really know how to help the fellow, and, and I've never had a sponsor, and I've never taken the steps. And so I had to tell the fellow no. Now, if you think I asked Tommy to be my sponsor, you got another thing coming. You know, scared the hell out of me. I didn't know what to do. I went to the little old lady in the group about a week later, and I said, Hey, i got to have some help. This stuff's killing me. You know, I'm coming apart. I'm listening to her and Carl and J.C. and all these others. They're doing great. And I'm going nuts. I can't hold down my job. I can't go home. The dog don't like me. No, no. I mean, hell, I can't get along with nobody. You know? And the guy... The lady looked at me and she, she took her time and, and, she, and she talked to me and she told me, she said, Rolly, I've been in this program for 14 years or whatever, 12, 14, whatever it was. And, and she said, I've done a four-step and I've carried it around for six years because I've never found anybody that I could do a fifth step with. And I think what, what you need is something I ain't got. And I appreciated her for, for uh, thanked her for her honesty. You know. And I got up and I left out of there and I went and and I couldn't find anybody. And I was sitting over Pat Sponsor's house one night. And she's got a husband. He's ugly. Uh, I've tried to describe Bob in other ways, but ugly is the best thing. <laughs> but I, I went to Bob that night and, and I said, Bob, will you be my sponsor? And Bob said, well, sure, fat boy. I said, uh, I said, what do I do? And he said, I'm going I'm to give you a book here with all the instructions in it. And I'm going to do it for two reasons. And the first reason is, as we go through it, you can identify exactly where you are. You'll be able to identify the step as you feel before you take it, the way to take it through the book, and then how you feel afterwards. And if we don't get those results, we'll stop wherever we're at and get it straightened out. We'll, we'll follow this instruction book as best as humanly possible. And the second reason is I want you to go buy this book in case I die or get drunk. And if I do that, you can go to anybody in this fellowship and say, Hey, I'm on page 63. And they can pick you up and go right on with you. And you'll be forever safe. So I thanked him. And he said, Rolly, how do you pray? And I said, Oh, I pray, you know, a lot different ways. And he said, Well, give me an example. And hell, I couldn't think of one. He said, he said you know any short prayers? And I said, No. Nah. He said, you don't need long prayers? And I said, I know three or four. And he said, well, give me one. I said, I couldn't think of it, you know. And he said, you don't pray much, do you? And I said, well, you know, maybe a little bit, you know. And he said, listen, why don't we just give you a prayer that, that maybe with your amount of intelligence you'll be able to handle. 
If we can't, we can shorten it up for you, but what we'll do is we'll give you the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. And it's our Father. And that's the prayer He gave you. It's a great prayer. It's the only prayer I have today. I've never, I've become intelligent two or three different times and, and added something to it, and it always failed. <laughs> but I, I simply pray our, our, our Father, and that is my prayer. And I, that's just it. I, I wish it could be simpler. I, my sponsor, in giving me that prayer, allowed me over a period of months, as I began to get into this program and into the steps, I began to see the relationship that you people had with our Father. I also began to see a possible relationship that I had with you, that common bond that brings us all here. And as a result of that relationship with you, and seeing the relationship that you have with our Father, I begin to have a relationship with our Father. And that's all the prayer I've ever needed. And it's worked well for me. Anytime yours don't work, you can borrow mine. But you give it back. Because <laughs> I like that little prayer and it works real good for me and it solves all my problems. It tells me what my relationship is with you and what our relationship is with my power. And this power that I choose to call God. And it's worked a lot for me. And, and it's got me into things and out of things that I have no, no way. Of, of even begin to ponder or think or, or I just couldn't do it. I mean, this, this simple little thing, this simple thought has allowed me a spiritual experience, uh, an understanding of a power that does live, as, as they said today, deep within the side of each and every one of us. And that's where I found it. I love page 55 because that's where we find it. And it's okay. Now, we rocked on through these steps, and I got one of these gorsobs. Y'all know what a gorsob is. That's a greatly overrated son of a bitch. Well, I thought y'all might know. But, but anyway, the gorsob in my life began to apply these steps to me. Now, I think the light, I hear a lot of talk around these programs now about seeing the light. I hear people talking about the light, the vision, that we're going into a tunnel and we see at the very end of the tunnel a light and we're striving forward and we're reaching out to grasp that light. Well, that's fine. But the light that works to me, with me, is that fireball's about six inches off my butt. <laughs> now, that light forces me into this deal. And I can follow that one. Now, I can get right into that. And that's the way I worked the steps. I really did. Every time it got hot, I'd done something. You know? And my sponsor was always the regulator of the thermostat. He turned it up. I kept saying, turn it down. He said, turn it up. You know, and we went on like that. And he put me through this program and he put me through this book. And, and we were rocking along. I moved. A lot of things happened to us. Pat got sober. We moved out of state. Everything was real good. Went out of Florida. And you know how it is when you, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but when you leave, they don't do it right where you go to. They do it right where you came from. But when you go someplace, it's doing it wrong. And I got down there and I started going to meetings. Had two. I was in there about a month. One night I was sitting there and they were discussing something that was obviously wrong. And uh, one of them said, made a statement. And I said, listen. Now the way my group done it back in Georgia, and this lady, little white-haired lady, turned around and said, hey, Rowan. And I said, yeah. And she said, we've been doing it wrong for 18 years before you got here. <laughs> I said, whoa. <laughs> Come on back here, you know. Anyway, I started a group out of a resentment. <laughs> and the resentment group worked out real good. And I, I go to all the meetings. I attend as many meetings as I can today. And I, I try to make four or five meetings a week. And, and if I don't, I try to make eight. You know, and I, I really try to get around to the meetings. I try to be around the people. The, the nice things that happen to you in this program 
you know, I couldn't begin to number them. It's really been fantastic. Uh, the greatest thing to me has been the experience of being able to work with other people. When I first got down to Florida, there was nobody that needed a sponsor. It was amazing, thousands of people, but nobody needed a sponsor. And I couldn't get anybody to let me sponsor them. And I was digging and searching. And I was, you know, willing to take anybody in. And just out of the blue, one day I came out of a meeting, and this lady came up to me, and the lady's name is Christy. And Christy is a New York-born artist, motorcycle, Harley-Davidson rider, beautiful lady, crazy and eccentric as hell, you know, but a beautiful lady, came up to me and said, will you be my sponsor? I said, whoa, can't do that. I ran back and called my sponsor. I said, you'll never believe what happened to me, you know, and I began to relate it to him. And I, I said, what do you think I ought to do? He said, well, do the same thing that was done to you. And I said, but Bob, you don't understand. And he said, no, Roland, you don't understand. If you don't do something with somebody down there, you're going to go crazy. You begin to get back in the same old patterns. He said, I have no illusion that, that you could be of any help to her. You know? <laughs> so just something to keep you busy for a little while. That's all right. <laughs> And so I did, and I, I began to talk to Christy, and Christy and I formed a relationship that's been fantastic, and, and she's shown me a different way of life. As a matter of fact, when they talk about that boat in the big book and hitting the, the iceberg, me and that lady have nothing in common. And yet there's a bond there, and there's a, there's a loving relationship there that I cannot have with any other earth personality. I could, I've never been able to form that kind of bond with anybody, and it exists with her. Another person I worked with in the very beginning was a, was a little drunk named Junior. And Junior would get drunk and his wife would get sober. And his wife would get drunk and Junior would get sober. And they tried all the programs. And finally one day I was standing someplace and Junior said, Rolly, would you be my sponsor? And not knowing but one answer, I said yes. I said, get in the car, little boy. <laughs> Put his butt in the car and I drove him around. And old Junior, he, he hung it in there and he said, what are we going to do? And I said, let's take the book. And let's go through the book and let's take the steps out of the book. And I've done that with Christian. I've done it with Junior. And, and as a result of working these things out with Junior, he and I, first step, second step, third step, went through the book, identified. We listened, listened to Joe and Charlie for hours on end. And Junior would get, I'd get done with a tape and Junior would say, did you hear such and such? And I said, that wasn't in there. He didn't say that. And hell, the next day we'd have to review it <laughs> and find out what was right, you know. And I, we'd go over this stuff over and over again. But eventually... Junior got on through these steps, and Junior got sober, and, and he was sober a couple of years at the time, and, and he took his daughter and his wife, and he got a divorce, and, and you know how it is when you get a divorce, and, and, they, and it broke up, and it was really bad, and she was drinking, and, and he decided to go back to Georgia, and the day before he left, she came to him and said, can I go with you? And he said, sure. <laughs> and off they went into the sunset, and, and they moved on up to Atlanta, Georgia, and, and it rocked along real good, and I don't know, about a year ago, we were up visiting, and, and I went into Junior's house, and and everybody had gone out of the room, and, and we were watching wrestling or something. It was a Saturday afternoon. I mean, we were being tough, just sitting there drinking our RC colas and eating them moon pies and just enjoying it, you know. And old Junior, he looked over at me, and he said, Rolly, when I first came to this program, they told me to find somebody that I wanted to be like, that I seen have something that I wanted. And when I met you, I seen that. And I said, well, now, Junior, he said, well, I ain't done yet. He said, I asked you to be my sponsor for that reason. He said, but to be honest with you, over the last couple of years and doing the steps and, and having this program applied to my life, 
I found out that I really don't want to be like you. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's a hell of an attitude, you know. And old Junior said, no, Rolly, you don't understand. So as a result of this program and this the sponsorship and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and Al Nunn, Al Teen, Al Titan, Al Dog, I have found out it's okay to just be Junior. And me and Junior get along real good. And see, Junior gave me the secret. So I didn't know when I heard him say that, I really didn't know it was okay to be Rolly. And Junior told me. And it's just fine. I think the highest we ever get in this program is when we learn how to get along with ourselves. And when we learn that peaceful, easy feeling, you know, that, 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 that comes with being able to live with that person that is Rolly, and that Rolly that exists in each and every one of us, I think that is the result of this program. And it took a little squint butt joker of a drunk to show me that. And I have to remember, and I am forever thankful to Junior and, and Christy and all the other people that, that helped me through this program. I sponsor a lot of people, and, and a lot of people come my way, and, and I love each and every one of them, and we go through hell sometimes. I mean, because it's hard to sponsor people in the big book when you're in Isle Nine. You know, you people have a hard time with it. Y'all in AA. Hell, I have a tremendously hard time with it over there. I guarantee this is not even my book. But it's the only program of recovery that I've ever had. Uh, I've been in this program about six months, and my sponsor told me, so let's go talk to a fellow. And the fellow we went to talk to or went to listen to talk was uh, Joe. And Joe was speaking at a little state convention. It's hard to sponsor people in the big book when you're in Isle Nine. You know, you people have a hard time with it. Y'all in AA. Hell, I have a tremendously hard time with it over there. I guarantee this is not even my book. But it's the only program of recovery that I've ever had. Uh, I've been in this program about six months, and my sponsor told me, so let's go talk to a fellow. And the fellow we went to talk to or went to listen to talk was uh, Joe. And Joe was speaking at a little state convention there. And, and we had breakfast that morning. It was in South Georgia, a little place called Albany, Georgia. And, and I was new in the program. I was having a hard time accepting this book. And, and my sponsor said, come in here, let's have breakfast with him. We'll see what happens. And I went in the next morning. I said, what time breakfast? is 6 o'clock. I said, nobody eats at 6 o'clock. They said, oh, yeah, we eat at 6 o'clock. Be at 6. So I got there at 6 o'clock, and I went in. There was about eight rednecks sitting around a big table. And I went into the room, and I sat down. They said, no, don't sit there. That's, that's Joe's place. You can't sit there. Joe's going to sit there. Get out of his seat. And I got up and went to another seat, you know, and finally in comes Joe. Joe can't look like Isaac Hayes to me. You know, hell, I, I said, you got to be kidding. We're going to sit here and listen to him talking about that book. My son said, shut your mouth. And I sat there, and I loved it. Joe said, oh, we had breakfast. This is the greatest thing I've ever listened to. And when it was all over with, my sponsor said, you got anything you want to ask him? You better get over and ask him. I said, well, he's busy. He said, he's going to be busier. You better go ask him now. So I went over to him, and I, I said, Joe, and he don't remember this, I'm sure. But I went over to Joe, and I said, Joe, I want to know about the program in this book. And he said, he works. And I said, but you don't understand, Joe, I'm in our none. He said, it don't bother me if it don't bother you. <laughs> I remember, I came away from that conversation, I remember Joe telling me, if they give you any trouble, tell them to call me. And I was going to stick them little white-haired ladies on his butt. <laughs> but it never happened. I don't think they ever called Joe, but they nearly run me out of the program. <laughs> Took a little time and, and was plugged on away, and I, I appreciated that. And I've had a lot of people like that in the program that have come into my life. And what I want to do is, 
I just wrap it up unless I'm unless I'm losing everything. I want to, I want to tell you a couple of things that happened, and then we'll shut it down. I think the program's worked fine for me, and it's been a godsend for me. And it's allowed me to meet you kind of people all over this country. I was uh, about a year ago. I had a telephone call. Go back a little further. I had a, a lady come to me one night and said, "Rolly, would you come over to Brunson and speak for our group?" And I was speaking at different things. I was going to these retreats and everything, and I, I thought, damn, you know, that's a little old bitty group. God, I don't want to go there. There must not be four of them. And the lady said, would you please? And I said, well, my sponsor told me I had to say yeah. And I said, okay, I'll go. You know, and old drag butt, I drug on out of there that night. And a week or two went by, and the lady called me and reminded me and everything. And God, I hated to go. And so I took one to Turkey's and put him in the car. And, and that night we drove over there, and we got there, and it, there was four of us in that meeting, me, him, and two ladies. And I spoke that night. And they had a little podium, and it was a little bit of room. And, and I stood up, and I talked. And it was a, we had a good time. And I walked out of that room, and I said, Really, sweetheart, that's what it's all about. You know, talking to these people, one of them, that's what this deal's all about. Don't confuse it with this other crap, sitting in meetings and stuff like that. Hell, that ain't it. It's just getting this relationship, this sharing between two people. That's what we got. God, I just, I just fell in love with this program right then. I walk on out of that room and, and nothing happened about six months, a year, year and a half went by, and one day the telephone rang. And I picked up the telephone, and this lady said, Rolly said, I'm so-and-so, and I'm in Oregon. We'd like you to come out and speak at our state convention. And I said, whoa, let me check this thing off. And I said, Oregon? I said, hell, ain't even on my map. And I had to turn over two fly leaves to find it. You know? <laughs> And I finally found Oregon, and I said, God, you got what out there? And she said, I don't know, stay conventional. And I said, well, sure, I, I'd be more than glad to. And I said, by the way, i got to know, how in the world did you find my name? And she said, well, so-and-so, she mentioned a lady that had moved from my part of the country to her part of the country, and she heard you talk one night. I was, you know, me and Pat talked about it, and I talked to many other people. And finally, one day, it dawned on me that she was the other lady in the room. The night I spoke in Brunson. When I get our invitations to go to Brunson today, I jump on them. <laughs> Hell, them Chinese are trying to get sober. Think about that trip. <laughs> so Pat and I really enjoyed We love the, the fellowship and we love the program and we love the people. And, and the people come in and out of our lives and God bless them. They're all fantastic to us and we've enjoyed every minute of it. And the telephone rings and... And the, and the people get their feelings hurt and they come back and, and we stay with it and we go to our groups and we do our thing. And that's, to me, that is the, the deal. Uh, I had somebody one night tell me, I said, you got, you got to go to all the meetings. You, the deal behind here is go to these meetings, go to these meetings. And I went to my sponsor and I said, sponsor, do you think program, the program works or do you think the meetings work? I said, this 90 and 90 thing. I said, which one really, you know, well, what's the real deal? He said, Rolly, if you put your butt in them chairs every night and do not do this program, what you will do is have a dirty butt. Because <laughs> these drunks refuse to clean them chairs. <laughs> so you have got to get in the front. And so I, anyway, that's what I began to pitch to people. And, and I was sitting in a meeting recently, and I guess there's about 30 people in my home group, and, and it was nice to sit in that home group, that little Allen Run group, and, and note it as we went around the room. And all the people were talking about the 12th step, that they were talking from experience and not from a hypothetical case of whether or not or what they might have done. They were talking from their experience. And that's an excellent feeling to me. That's a lot different than the group I came into. 
And when people come in our group on Saturday Night Live, they find a sponsor. And they find out about this program. And that's the best we can do. That's the only thing we got to offer. Uh, I want to wrap up the loose ends. First of all, when I was uh, about, I guess I was in the woods, a year before we came to the program, my grandfather passed away. I had never gone and visited my grandfather again. Because, see, when you're right and you know you're right, you got to be willing to go to bat. And I went to bat and I lost that relationship. And when I'd done my ninth step, I, I went to my sponsor and I said, you know, I really I owe some type of amends or I owe something. I can't figure out. And he said, Rolly, you don't owe any amends because to make amends, you, you have to have taken something out of someone's life. And, and your grandfather, from everything you told me, he continued his relationship with you. He had a grandson. You just didn't have a grandfather. It's your loss. Hell, he loved every minute of it. And you don't look him back on it, the old man did. And he knew I was just a sick, dumb, stupid kid. It never bothered him. And I was appreciative to my sponsor for seeing that. Another thing that happened to me is I got, to, I got the opportunity to call my sister. And the most amazing thing has happened over the years. My sister quit school because she had to raise that young And she married that damn boy. <laughs> most amazing thing I've ever seen. She's had four more kids. <laughs> It just blows me away after those good instructions on my part, you know. But I got an opportunity to call her, and, and I told her, I said, Mary, I love you very, very much, and I'm sorry about taking away that brother that you might have you needed a few times, and I didn't really stand there with you. And, and I appreciate any time in the future that anything happens that I can be of any service to you. Please let me know. I'd love to do it. God, I'd love to do it. And I love her, and I love them kids, and I love whatever the hell his name is. Now, I want to tell you that, that I leave kind of hanging sometime, and it really is the way it is, but, but I found out after I was in this program a couple of years listening to all you sober members of our hearts anonymous talk to, you know that fella back in the beginning, and I, I told the story a little wrong. The guy that I was going to tell that story, I had blown that one. Anyway, the guy, the guys that came out and beat on Mr. Hunt, the reason they had done that is he had failed to pay a grocery bill that was overdue. And Mrs. Hunt had went to get her groceries, and that fella, when she couldn't pay the bills, that fella said, Honey, we'll take care of that. And he belonged to this society. And this society had these long white hats. Now, the cure that they had was not for alcoholism. Hell, it was for indebtedness. You know? But from that point on, you know, Mr. Hunt, he continued to drink. Hell, I remember having parties in the neighborhood and seeing him smashed. He never quit drinking after them guys stepped on his head. But he always paid that damn grocer. <laughs> you made a point of that, by God. Oh. Everything that I have seen in this program has come full circle in my life. The promises have, have, have come to us and things have happened. And we have a son and a daughter. i got a son that's about to graduate University of Georgia. And, or he's just now graduated in University of Georgia. And, and they tell me that his degree is going to be worth money one day. And, but in Georgia, we don't know. Hell, they give them to everybody else. You know, that's what I keep telling him. But... But I also have a daughter, and the daughter lives at home. And, and when we first, I guess she's 19 now, and, and when we first moved down to Florida about four years ago, it was amazing. We got there, and we had this box waiting on the front steps, and, and it was his boyfriend. And that boyfriend, you know, I guess the Chamber of Commerce sent the kid over. Yeah. When I got there, he was there, and, and I've learned a lot in this program as a result of Steve. Because sometimes I just want to kill him. But in this program, you can't kill people, you know, it's not one of the steps. 
and I, I've come to understand that. But she, she would tell you if she were here tonight that she loves every one of you people. And the reason she loves you is you got me off of her back. You know, and that's fantastic. She's grown up, you know, and she's doing just great today. You know, and the house is a lot better. And me and Pat began to work on a relationship about a year, year and a half ago, and we're working on it. It's been a hell of a day. We play for more amount of money, more amount of time, more amount of anything to this place that gives me what I found in the I didn't tell you I loved you, I loved you. If I don't tell you now that I love you, know that I'm going to love you next week. I'm going to love you today, tomorrow, next week, next year, because you've given me a life. You've given me rolling. Jesus loves me, yes or no, because all you people told me so. Thank you very much.